I, I, uh, as we, uh, we've, we're into a, a new series, looking at our world, what we don't see, and then next month we're going we're gonna to jump into a series called Looking at Our World, What Will Be, and we're going we're gonna to look at the signs that are around us today and how the Bible specifically, this is what's incredible about the Word of God, something that was written thousands of years ago speaks to what we're living today. And here's the reason why. Because it's not man's word, it's actually God's word. And we're going to look at biblical prophecy and the things that we're seeing in our world today that are being fulfilled right before our very eyes and what we can expect as believers in the future. So we'll jump into that next month. But what I really wanted to look at um, for the next couple of weeks is really what, what what is really driving our world today? What's really going on behind the scenes. And I, I think for most people, they really don't care in, in, in one sense, which I think is a real shame because if, if you were to look at our world and you were to look at our world over, let's say, the last 200 years and see where we were and to see where we are today, specifically in America, it's pretty disheartening. Um, and what I want to look at today is what is really behind all this? What, what are the philosophies that are driving our world today? And I, I, I want to stress to you today that it's in, it's in direct confrontation. It's a confrontation with what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. And we need to have discerning hearts. And, and, and I'm going to give you, because, you know, facts... And statistics don't lie. And, and I want to look at some facts and some st- statistics that prove that even for the believer of Christ, how just certain concrete things that we have held true to in Orthodox Christianity for hundreds of years are, are, are wading away. We're, we're, we're not as strong as we used to believe. And I think some of this is coming from just sound teaching and sound doctrine that come from the Word of God. And so what I want to do is how did we get to where we got? Sometimes it's good. How many know that history, if we don't understand it, has a way of repeating itself? And we need to understand why, where are we here today? What is the state of the church today? And how did we get here? And how do we protect ourselves as believers in Christ so that we're not led astray by hollow philosophies and deceitful teachings? And so what I want to look at Specifically today, is we, we, we used this scripture as our springboard into these series of messages. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, described it well to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6. I want to read verses 11 and 12 because we really dissected verse 11 last week. But Paul described the, the, what we're, what, what's happening in our world. It is actually a battle that we're going through. And so he tells these believers as he writes this epistle, to put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, the schemes of the devil. And we, we dissected what that word schemes mean. It's, it's meticulous. It's orchestrated. The devil has a plan. And, and it's not a, a guy with a pitchfork with horns sticking out of his head, right? Uh, let's, let's get over that nonsense. The devil, the enemy, is much smarter than that. He's going to work by ways that he knows our human heart, the proclivities of our heart are going to be bent towards. And guess what? The, the, the bent of our heart is always going to be towards me. The, the, the bent of, of my life is going to be, I got to take care of me first. And so as we look at the hollow philosophies of, these world, of the world, it's a philosophy that revolves around me, my pride, my knowledge. We know what's best. 
And so remember that. So the schemes of the enemy, what caused him to even fall was his own pride, the Bible says. He, he, was, he was caught in his own beauty. He wanted to be like God. And so here we, we see the, the intrinsic value of, of, of the enemy. It's his own pride to, to, to lift up yourself, to, to rely on yourself, and not to humble yourself before a creator. And so those are the schemes. They're meticulous. They're orchestrated. And so he says, our, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So it's a... What Paul describes here, he says it's a spiritual war against evil in the, in the works of Satan. And, and l- let me show you how Jesus describes who Satan is and his characteristics. And he describes this for us in John 8, 44 and 45. He says, listen, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. So we have to realize that the attack that we're under, under today, is, it's an attack against the truth. And so we have to discover, what is truth? How do we discover truth? How do we know truth? And how do I know if I'm not following the truth? So we understand the schemes of the enemy is is not holding to the truth. Jesus says, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So as he speaks to, as Jesus speaks this to the people of his days, he's telling them, if you're not following me, guess what? You're following a lie. And the, and, and the thing behind that lie is the father of all lies, who is the enemy. So in order to fight this battle correctly and not become deceived by the enemy's tactics, we need to be discerning. And if I were to just tell you today uh, that, that the human existence or the origins of life came about through aliens that came to our planet and seeded the earth, and that's how everything started to, 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 to start and to blossom and so on and so forth, you would lock me up, right? You would say, you're off your rocker, right? Yet, yet this teaching is what a leading expert in our world today of biology proposes as he tries to give the answer for the origins of life. Isn't that special? And teaching in a leading university in the world. So we have to realize, listen, what is going on here? Why do we believe these false truths? Well, we need to understand that we are fighting a spiritual battle and we need to discern between truth and error. And so where is this battle fought? Well, well, the Apostle Paul tells us this battle that is raging within us, it's a battle for your mind. And he tells this to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, he says, listen, for the weapons of of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. It's a stronghold of thinking in your mind. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raises against the knowledge of God and takes thought uh, captive to obey Christ. He's saying the warfare that we're fighting is this warfare of the mind. It's, it's against teachings. It's against things that come against the person of Christ. So we are fighting against arguments that come against the truth of God. It's the world's philosophy of how things began and how things 
work. So we need, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be able to answer the three basic questions of life. And these three questions shape our worldview. So whether or not you're a follower of Christ or not, you have a worldview whether you believe it or not. And as believers of Christ, we need, to be, we need to be able to answer these three basic concerns about life. Everybody will ask them at one time or another. And the three basic questions are, are, are this. First of all, where did we come from? It's, it's the question of creation. That's where the huge debate is. Is, it, is there a creator? Or is it everything just happened naturally without God? And that's where you get Darwin's theory of evolution, right? Basically, what it is, is it's an anti-God theory that takes a creator out of the picture and says that everything happened through nature. And basically, what their thought is this. If you take a blob of something and let it sit there for millions of years, right, that eventually that blob will turn into Bob. Right? That's basically what they're saying. If, if you give enough time to something, then eventually it will turn. But yet there's no, absolutely no scientific proof that a blob turned into Bob. There's none. Whatsoever. They have not found anything that proves that one thing turned into another, a completely different species. Now, you can have different within the same species. It can turn, it can change. That, that, that's fine. But to actually take one species and completely turn into another, they have absolutely no scientific evidence for that. And so what are we left with? Well, then we're left with this intelligent design. That if there has to be something that's created us. How can, how, can something, the, how can something be chaotic and then create order out of chaos? It's impossible. There had to be a creator, someone a lot smarter than you and I. There, there's, there's all these anthropic principles, there's all these scientific principles that work against evolution, but yet they've blinded their eyes to it because here's the issue. If you actually go the route of intelligent design, which most intelligent scientists will hold to, hold to now, many are jumping ship and realizing that, that Darwinian evolutionary theory just does not hold any water anymore. In fact, I, I doubt Darwin would be a Darwinist today with, with the advancements in science that we have specifically in the area of molecular science. Darwin never had that. He didn't understand. It was like, it's like a, it was like if you look at a, a pond and you have lily pads and you've got a frog that jumps from one lily pad to the other, there's all this water in between and, and we call that molecular science or, the, or just the study of molecular things. They didn't have that study then. They didn't understand how intrinsic things work and how perfectly the order is. Our DNA, how specific all that works. There's no way that could be created out of chaos. Something had to create. You know, I, I don't look at my watch and say, oh, this watch created itself. Give it a million years and it will create itself. There had to be a watchmaker that created the watch and put everything in motion. If the earth was just off its axis, just one degree, we would all go hurling off into space. Jupiter acts like a, a cosmic vacuum to not allow huge meteors to hit our Earth. Do you realize there was a huge meteor that just flew by the Earth not too long ago? 
It was like, I don't know, the, I, I can't remember, it was like the size of a football field. I mean, Jupiter acts like a cosmic vacuum not to allow the earth to be con- constantly bombarded by huge meteors. You don't think there's a creator in all of that? That our earth is so specific and so designed in a way that you and I can breathe and live on this earth? That all of that was created by a blob? Or by aliens that came from another world and seeded it and got it started? My son's even smarter than that. My son looked at that and we talked about it. He goes, where do the aliens come from? So we need to understand where do we come from? We have to answer the question of creation. Next question is, what's wrong with the world? And so we have to ask the question, why is there evil in the world? Darwinists cannot answer that question. And so if, if you play this out, listen, if you play this out, here's where it gets so dangerous with, with, with Darwinian you know, thinking, is that if you think of the survival of the fittest and only the fittest should remain and, and should survive, you get neo-Nazism, you get, you get the Holocaust, right? Which Hitler followed many of the teachings of Darwin. You get to the point where you take God out of all of it, then there's no intrinsic value to life and why we exist and how precious life is and the sanctity of life. Are, are you tracking with me? Look where we are today, people. Look where we are today with the whole abortion issue. When, when we do away with God and we see everything is natural, then we as humans begin to decide what is right and what is wrong and what is valued as a life and what is not valued as a life. And God says, I am the creator of life. And it is I who breathes life into you. Are you tracking with me? Do you see, do you see how that can go off? So what's wrong with the world? They have no answer for why they're evil in the world. And then the last question is, how do we fix it? And how can it be made right? And we understand that God sent his very own son to deal with the greatest issue that none of, you, none of us could ever have dealt with. And that's the problem of sin. And Jesus Christ, who was God and is God, paid the price that none of us could ever pay. And so Jesus, Jesus has made it right. There's a great book by David Noble. It's 900 pages. And it's called Understanding the Times. For those of you that are just weird and like that stuff, get it and have fun with it. Um, those of you who like a challenge, I highly recommend this book. But it's a book that establishes what our Christian worldview is. And, and, and to come against the philosophies of this world and how do we defend ourselves against the world and what's really behind what people believe today. So whether or not you're, you're a follower of God or you're religious or you're not, we all believe something and we all, we all live by some philosophical idea or a set of beliefs. Noble states this in his book. He says, the single most important philosophical truth in the Bible is that Jesus Christ The Greek word there is logos or word or the mind of God. Christian philosophy says that Christ the logos is the explanation for the universe and everything in it. 
So we as followers of, of Christ believe that Jesus is the foundation for everything in the world. That's why we can make sense of this world through Christ Jesus. You may think, well, pastor, what's the big deal? Why is it so important to know what I believe? Because here's the problem. If we are not careful, we can easily believe a lie if we don't understand the truth and fall prey to false teaching. And what I see in Christianity today is what I call a hybrid type of Christianity. It's we have a little bit of truth mixed in with a little bit of human ideas. And the word hybrid means to have mixed character or mixed parts. It's a, it's a mixture. And this can happen in our belief system. And that's what we are fighting against today, this hybrid Christianity. And we need discernment in these last days. The Apostle Paul gives Timothy these instructions in 1 Timothy 4.1. He says, now, he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings or doctrines of demons. And so my question to you today is, are we living in the last days? You better believe it. We are living in the last days. We need to be on our guard. So notice the words Paul used describe any teaching that would set itself up against Christ. These are doctrines, and behind those doctrines is the enemy. And so here's the big error that I see in the church today that we need to guard ourselves against, and it has to do with the deity of Jesus Christ. It's the teaching that Jesus was a good man, that he was special, that he can even do miracles, but don't make him God or even equal with God. Don't say that he is the only way to God. Don't say that he is the way. Don't say that he is the only truth. Don't say that he is the life. Don't say that he can be the only one that can come under the Father. To deny or to dismiss the deity of Christ is an abomination to God and it's heresy to the full extent. Jesus died as God. He rose from the grave as God. That's what separates a true belief in God, in Jesus Christ, from every other religious philosophy. Because if you really dig into a lot of other religious philosophies, they'll mix Christ into their teachings. But to say he's the only way and to say he is God, that's where we begin to part ways. And so the attack is against the truth of Christ, that he is God, that he is the only way to God. He is the only one who can give life, that he is the truth. So the battle, once again, let's go back here. The battle is really against truth. Just listen to me. 830 people, listen. Here's the biggest mistake that we can make in our lives is just say that Jesus is a good guy. And if, if, if you look at this, what's being taught in our world today uh, through many religious philosophical systems is just that. Jesus is a great guy, but I don't believe he's the only way to God. So there's truth. And Jesus said, listen, the enemy is a distorter of the truth. And so who does he come against? He comes against me and the truth of Christ. I, I go back to, I tell you this all the time. You've got to get this in your minds. Listen. I love the quote from C.S. Lewis. Jesus gives us no other option in how we are to believe about him through scriptures. He either is or isn't God. He either is the truth or he isn't. He never gave us any other option. So and I, you, you've got to see the dichotomy here. You, you've got to 
get it this way or get it that way. I'd rather have you on one side of the fence or the other, but, but let's not patronize Christ by just making him out to be a neat guy. Because he never gave us that option. So C.S. Lewis basically says you've got to call him a liar who was the greatest con artist that ever lived and walked down this earth, or he's a complete cocoa for cuckoo puffs, all right? He's just a nut job, right? Who, who is just completely off his rocker, a complete lunatic, or he's Lord. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis says, on the same level as a poached egg, or he's Lord. He never gave us any other option. And what I'm going to show you today is that the teaching today that we see from many popular people, many TV personalities, is that very thing, that they make him out just to be a special guy. He never gave us that option. So you've got two ways to believe in Christ. Either you bow to him as Lord and bow your knee to him, or you say he was a lunatic. Let's, not, let, 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 let's get over this patronizing Christ and just making him out to be a neat, nice person that lived and did nice things for people. He never gave us any other option. The battle is with that. If you boil, listen people, if you boil everything down, let's just boil it right down. It's with that very truth. Either Jesus is or he isn't God. That's the bottom line. That's it. That's the argument. That, that's, the, it's, that's the battle of truth that we're battling. That's the absolute truth. Now, listen, you may say, well, Pastor, that's so exclusive, and that's just not fair. Because we want a religion that's all-inclusive, because that's what our world's telling. You've you got to be diverse, right? That's diversity. Diverse. Everything's got to be. We've we got we to join hands and sing kumbayas and drink Coca-Cola together, right? We're all one world, right? That, that's the way. But listen. Jesus is, yes, he's exclusive as being the absolute truth, but yet he's all-inclusive for those who come to him. He doesn't cast anyone out. He says, all who come to me, I will give you right to be my child. So the question is, what is truth? Pilate asked the same question when Jesus was brought before him in his crucifixion. The sad part is Pilate didn't wait for the answer. He walked away foolishly. So what I want to do is I want to expose some of the isms in our world today, and let's make sure we haven't mixed them with the truth of Christ to create this hybrid Christianity. And so we need to understand what's going on in our world today so we can discern the times and, and how the truth of Christ is under attack. Let me give you a prime example of what's going on in our world today. Eckhart Tolle wrote a book called New Earth, sold millions of copies. It was on the uh, New York sellers, you know, New York Times bestsellers list, top of the thing. Oprah, I think, had 5 million copies she spread out. She actually did a teaching on this whole thing online. And this is what Tolley writes. He writes this. The truth is inseparable from who you are. You are the truth. In fact, he distorts, distorts Jesus' famous statement by saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Tolley claims that what Jesus meant was that he was his own truth just like we can be our own truth. Okay, you see what's happening here? Once again, it's not turning to Christ. It's turning to me. You, you have the spark of the divine within you. You can find the truth within yourself. Now, now how, do I, how, how do I defend that? 
How do I say, well, why isn't that true, pastor? There's a truth within me. You have the truth. I have the truth. You know, everybody has the truth so we can make up what the truth is, right? The problem with that is we're all flawed. And if we understand that intrinsically every single one of us was born in sin because of the fall of man, we all got problems, don't we? And so if we are all sinners born in sin and we have the nature of sin, that means we need a Savior. So salvation cannot come from me. It has to come from someone greater than me. And that's where Jesus is the answer for that. So sorry, Eckhart Tolle, you're wrong. The truth is not within me. The truth is, can only be found in Christ. So history portrays truth as good and evil, light and darkness, truth, error, heaven and hell. This is thesis and, and antithesis, which basically means what we used to believe in was right and wrong. There was right and there was wrong. Remember that day? Remember when you were growing up, you kind of believed right and wrong? This was right and this was wrong, and, and now everything's all fuzzy. There's a good God and there's Satan who does evil. There's right and wrong. This is thesis and antithesis, not gray, not what I think so. You have the Ten Commandments. God said, this is what is right. This is what is wrong. And so God says, listen, this is wrong, and those who practice these things are wrong. Let me just give you a little example. In Galatians 5, Paul says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, all the like. I warned you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right wrong. Thesis, antithesis. This is right. This is wrong. You don't have to be a theologian to figure that out. Well, where are we today? Paul, writing to Timothy again in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, says this to, Tim to, to Timothy. He says, mark this. There will be terrible times in these last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with these such people. Written 2,000 years ago sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Now, let me tell you how this very scripture is true today. Specifically, when he says they're, that they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There was a philosophical system that came into our world about 125 years ago. And this philosophical system basically hijacked our grandparents and great-grandparents and have hijacked much of the church today. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. There was three main thinkers in this philosophical system. There was Friedrich Nietzsche, Soren Kierkegaard, Jean-Paul Sartre. What do all of these three people have in common? They believed and taught existentialism. And this belief system first started in Western Europe and then it spread all over the world. And the basic teaching was this. Truth... Remember what Jesus said, the attack is against the truth. 
the father of lies comes against the truth, right? You with me? Everybody say capiche. I'm with you, pastor. Okay, ready? Here we go. So what this teaching teaches is that truth is relative, meaning whatever you think it is, it is, right? So follow me here, track with me here, right? Eckhart Tolle says, the truth is not in God or in Jesus Christ. The truth is where? It's within you, okay? All's, all's Eckhart Tolle is teaching is a regurgitated teaching of existentialism. That's all it is. So everybody thinks it's new. Everybody spends a lot of money, billions of dollars on that garbage, and it's just existentialism regurgitated to something new. But that's all it is. And so what happened is this type of philosophical teaching has made its way into the church, hijacking our great-grandparents. And what happened here was there was a shift follow me, from thesis and antithesis, meaning good and bad, right and wrong, to continuum thinking, which is moral relativism. Whatever is right and true for you is good for you. It could be true. It might be true. It's kind of true. I don't know. What do you think? Let's all sit around and talk about what truth is and what you think truth is and what I think truth is. And it could be truth. It kind of could be true. It might be true. Guess what? No absolute truth. In order for our lives to be in order, there has to be absolute truth or our world will be chaotic. And that's where we are today. I can't even begin to concept in my mind someone that would legalize marijuana use. I, I, marijuana use. I'm just like, Lord, hell, am I the only one here? Uh, uh, really? Is that where we're at today? Really? God help us. And I, I don't even get me started because I'll, I'll get going and I need to stop right now. Let's pray. Lord, help Pastor Barton to calm down. Okay, I'm calm down, okay? So if you ask people if they believe in absolute truth, you might be very surprised by the answer. And, and let me not even pick on the word. Let me pick on so-called Christians here. What's right for you may not be right for me. And you do not have the right to set my moral compass. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't, you don't be setting my moral compass. You know why? Because intrinsically in the human heart... Our heart hates truth. Because if we don't follow the truth, that means we've got to bow our heart to something greater. And our hearts will always default to ourselves. That's why the teachings of Eckhart Tolle and all these other New Age gurus, why they're so popular in our world today, is because they tell you to follow your heart. The prophet Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? Watch out. You can't trust. How many of you got in trouble trusting your heart? You trusted your emotions. You got in big trouble. Let me let, 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 me let the statistics speak for themselves. A report in the Los Angeles Times on Barna Research back in, two, this is 2002, they quoted Barna as determining that only 44% of born-again adults are certain that absolute moral truth actually exists. Now, here's what killed me. Only 9% of born-again teenagers believed 
and absolute truth. Now, they did a follow-up one in 2005, just three years later, and Barna reported an update on that survey, uh, survey, and they found that it actually went down three years later, that in 2005, only 35% believed that moral truth is absolute, not depending upon circumstances. People, that bothers me as a pastor. Something's wrong. I, w we wonder why our young people leave the church after their teenage years and they fall away. I'll tell you why they fall away. Because they're not hearing teachings like this this morning. That's why they fall away. They don't have a Christian worldview. They, they don't know what to believe. So when they sit in a classroom and they got some nut job professor that handpicks Christian. This happens, handpicks Christians and says, who are, you, who are the Christians in this classroom? This happens. Raise your hand. And they say, I'm going to get you to change your mind by the end of this philosophy class. And if they are not firm in what they believe, they can believe a lie. And so I don't mean to be an alarmist here, but I'm just telling you, the facts speak for themselves. We don't know how to defend the truth as believers. And that doesn't make me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. That makes me wonder what has gone wrong in the church. Joanna Michelson says this, the new age is the ultimate electric religion of self. Whatever you decide is right for you is what's right. And so the mess that we are in today is because of this philosophy that we have bought into. And so what is the result? Here's what we see in our world today. Here's the result of moral relativism that has its roots in existentialism. Let me give you three things real quick here. The first thing is pragmatism. And basically what pragmatism is, is does it work through logic, which says logic above all else, does it work? which leaves no room for faith or trust in God. It basically says, if I don't see it, I'm not going to believe it. It's like doubting Thomas. Unless I see the nail prints in his hands and, and the wound in his side, I'm not going to believe it. Pragmatism. You begin to doubt everything. If I can't see it, if I can't explain it, which we can, but most people never go that far. And then the next thing, which is, I think, the biggest problem in our world today is the result of existentialism, is humanism. And basically what humanism said is, says is, does it work for me? This belief centers not, not on God, but on man. Man is the center of the universe. You have the spark of the divine within you. In fact, Eckhart Tolle goes so far as to say, if we all share the truth, then we're all equal. We're all equal with Christ, that we all can become gods. Really? Basically, elevating us as human, as humans to a divine status. Not as a creative status under God's mighty hand, but as co-equal. Divine status. Dangerous. Humanism. The belief centers not on man, or centers on man, not on God. Man is the center of the universe. We can figure out our own problems Darwinistic philosophy, nature, not God, blob to bob. That's basically what it comes down to. We're going to push God right out of it, and we're going to elevate ourselves 
and we're going to fix everything. Now listen, I'm all about recycling, right? Right? Good. If you recycle, great for you. I like to recycle. If I see trash on the side of the road, I don't like seeing people throwing stuff. I'm all into that, okay? Let's recycle. Yeehaw, okay? But how many know it's almost become a religion? That we're going to fix the world. Never mind the patterns the cosmic patterns that happen in our universe. No, we're going to explain that we're the problem. We're going to fix the world and global warming and all that stuff. And no one can figure out why or where or when. And it just it, it makes me laugh when I hear it. Do you realize that in Jupiter, the temperature on Jupiter has gone up three degrees? Now, latest I checked on my telescope, there's no SUVs on Jupiter. Just something to throw out at you. Just something to think about, something to pray about. I don't see it. So maybe there's this cosmic universe thing that causes these climactic changes. Anybody ever thought about that? Just something my little pea brain thinks about once in a while as I drink my expired orange juice in the morning. Okay, let's go on. So here's the problem. We've got pragmatism that says, does it work? Humanism that says, does it work for me? And then hedonism. Does it feel good? Does it make me feel good? Whatever makes me happy. And whether you believe it or not, these three isms is what's driving our world. These three isms is what's driving reality TV. Nietzsche, who was raised a Christian, said this, God is dead and there is no truth. David Noble makes a great point. He says, what makes a philosophy non-Christian? is what the Bible refers to as the philosophy and empty deceit. And this is a philosophy based on human tradition, based on elemental forces of the world, not based on Christ. And Paul gives us the warning. He gives the warning to the Colossian church in Colossians 2.8 when he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So the problem is we have to ask ourselves, how do we combat this? Listen, Christian, we have to combat this through knowing the real thing. How do you know a counterfeit bill? How do, you know, uh, how do you know that something's a counterfeit? You know it by knowing the real thing. You expose it easily. Why? Because you've studied the real thing. FBI studies fakes. They know a fake. They can see it. They know it. And you may think, well, Pastor, why do I have to know this stuff? Because it's on your TV. It's taught your children. It's taught in our universities. And here is the big reality check for me is I actually talked to an individual face-to-face one time. And it was a young woman who actually graduated from Harvard with a master's in theology. And so I was real interested in this conversation. We just happened to be in a setting where we could talk. So I said, well, tell me about your studies and so on and so forth. And it's really interesting. And all of a sudden she says, well, I'm part of the Baha faith. I'm like, oh, really? Well, what's Tell me more about that. I knew about it. I didn't want to jump right into it, but I knew about it. She said, oh, we, we believe that uh, this man came 100, 150 years ago or whatever, and he says, listen, we're going to, uh, my teaching is I believe I've got visions from Jesus and other Moses and other great leaders, and what, what he wanted to do was make all religions become one. She goes, so I'm all about just unity and coming together and, and, and all this. And I go, is that what they teach at Harvard? She says, well, they teach whatever, whatever field you want to study. I'm like, oh, really? Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but every single one of our Ivy League schools started out as mission-sending agencies. <laughs> Did you know that? 
And now we're here today where it's wherever you want to believe is what you want to believe, the empty philosophies of this world. So I began to talk to her. I said, you know, Jesus said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes in the Father but by me. I quoted the C.S. Lewis quote. She's like, hmm, that's interesting. I go, did you ever read that? No. I said, you got your master's in theology. Have you ever read through the whole Bible? No. Really? They give out masters of theology at Harvard without you reading through the Bible? Really? So then she goes, well, well, this is what I believe. I believe Jesus was a great man and blah, 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 but there's these other great mans. There's other great men that have come to balance out everything. And I said, then what do you do with Jesus when he says that I'm the way, the truth, and life? There's no other way to the Father. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that in your own mind? Well, then she began to pull back and say, well, I don't believe all of the word of God is the word of God. I believe some of it's the teachings of men. Okay, see, the attack on the truth. It's the attack on Christ Jesus. So I said, well, how does man overcome their sins? And then she began to tell me about reincarnation, that she believes in reincarnation. She's like, oh, they would, you know, come back and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I said, how do you deal with Hitler? That's a, you know, what would you do with Hitler? You know, killing 11 million people, 6 million Jews. How, how would you, how'd you deal with Hitler? She's like, hmm, that's an interesting question. Masters in theology from Harvard. Hmm, that's an interesting question. How would I do? She says, well, I think he would have to come back and have to pay you know, the penalty. He'd come back as a cockroach or whatever, and then someone would just step on and it was done. Okay. Um, so I said this. I said, then um, I followed the question up by saying, trying to be very respectful um, and, and everything inside of me wanting just to, to just rile up. And I tried to be real respectful. I said, then really, what was the purpose? If Hitler could come back and become a cockroach or whatever, if he could do that, then what was the purpose for Jesus dying on the cross? Guess what? She had no answer. She had no, she was, I don't know. So I looked at her square in the eyes and I said, the whole reason why God sent Jesus to this earth is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is God. That he is the answer. That he is the only one who could ever pay for our sins. I said, what you are doing is you're creating your own religion in your mind that's not based in truth but based on what you think is true. I said, and that's where our world is today. And there was a guy sitting across the table that we're talking, we got done, he's like, man, that was a really neat exchange and blah, blah, blah. Of course, the next day, we're at this wedding, the next day, this girl avoided me like the plague. But I, I, I wasn't trying to, but see the problem? Here's someone, in all fairness to her heart, the sincerity of her heart, who wants to be a pastor, who wants to study theology. Here's someone who was bought into the philosophy, the deceptive philosophies of this world. People, listen, it all boils down to Christ and who he is. He, either, he either is or he isn't. That, that's really the bottom line. So as nice as, as, as all these vain philosophies that are being taught in New Age philosophy, as nice as they sound and trying to get everybody together and trying to get everybody to get along, the bottom line is Jesus either is or he isn't who he says he is. And so we, we, we have to study this truth. So let me encourage you as your pastor. Let me just, let, let me encourage you here on what I desire for you is this. Let me encourage you. Read books like Knowing God from J.I. Packer. Just, just challenge yourself 
in this coming year to say, you know what, I really want to know the characteristics of God. That was the first book I read in seminary. The first book was J.R. Packer. First theology class I took, they said, every single one of you are going to read this book by J.R. Packer, Knowing God. He's no, J.R. Packer is just, he blows my mind. He's just a prolific writer, and I believe will give you a deeper understanding on the characteristics of God. You can get the book, I love this book by Tim Keller called The Reason for God. And listen, I, you parents of teenagers, I, I, would, I would encourage you to make your kids read those books. Have them read Reason for God. Sit down with them and talk to them. I'm so glad that my son Colby's getting into theology because we're, we're, we're talking about things and he, I give him more and more books to read and we talk about the sovereignty of God. It's just great because, listen, I want my kids, whether or not they grow up and they, they, they serve Christ, which I want them to do with their whole hearts and love Jesus, I, I want them to know what they believe. That it's more than just coming to church and saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, but actually be able to defend themselves when another worldview comes their way, they're able to say, you know what, but this is what I believe. And you know what, I'm going to have to stand up for this even if I'm ridiculed, even if I'm mocked. I want to stand up for what the truth is. And what our world needs today, what the church needs today is absolute truth. And the reason why so many of our mainline churches have gone off track and the reason why they're not preaching the gospel today, the reason why they're not preaching Christ today is because they've bought into the philosophies of this world, that it revolves around me and not Christ. Let me finish with this verse and we're going to take communion together. Listen to what John says. John says in 1 John 4, 1 through 6, he says, listen, dear friends, as he writes this letter, beloved friends, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into this world. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. You, dear children, you are from God and you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them, but we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of what? The spirit of truth from the spirit of falsehood. And I want you to notice John's words. He says, dear friends, dear children. He's writing them as a father wanting to protect them from the hollow philosophies of this world. Let me encourage you as your pastor, grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that you've got to be some expert theologian that can debate everybody, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I want you to get to the point in your life 
that when you hear these empty philosophies that come your way, you're able to ask questions like this girl who, who her heart was sincere and it just hopefully I shook a little bit of her foundation on what she believed about Christ and maybe to get her to think a little bit more and maybe to actually read the Bible and understand who Christ is because Jesus Christ is the only way to God. If there were other paths, Jesus would have let us known about that. And so, yes, I, yes, that's very exclusive. But Jesus is very inclusive on, on all who come to him. And that's the Savior we have today. That's the battle we're fighting today. It's a battle against absolute truth, right and wrong. And I don't know about you, but we need to know the truth because we live in a world that is so muddled through ethics. I mean, in many, in many uh, business schools, they're actually having classes now on ethics because of all the immorality that's going on through our corporations. It's all muddled. There's no truth. We're, we're guided by what we feel is right and what we feel is wrong. And so that's why you have the extreme scandals that we're seeing over and over again because we're not following any guidelines of truth. We need to look back at the Ten Commandments. My, my grandmother, growing up in Hicksville, Vermont, tell, told me when I was a little kid, she goes, you know, Barden, she goes, when I grew up in my one school schoolhouse, she goes, in my daily reader, we would have scriptures in there. This is a public school. And she goes, the Ten Commandments was on the back wall of the school. Come on, people. Right? Truth. We need truth to guide us. And Jesus is that truth. So that's my prayer for you. Challenge yourself. Get, get J.R. Packer's book. Read Tim Keller's stuff. Read some good evangelical Christians' thoughts on the character of God and allow yourself to be built on a firm foundation, especially you parents. Train your kids so that, man, my heartbeat is that there's not this falling away from the faith that we see so prevalent in the church today. It's because they don't have a firm foundation in what absolute truth is. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. As we take communion today, let me, uh, let me just say this as we, as we take communion together. That Listen, communion is open to, to all of you here that have asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but you do have to be a member of God's family. And if you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you can do that right now if you haven't, and ask Christ to... To, to just come into your life and acknowledge him as Lord over your life, that he is the truth, um, by all means, you can take communion. And we're going to pray that right now. And if you pray that prayer and you put your belief in Christ, then by all means, celebrate with us as we take communion because we're remembering what Christ did for us. We're remembering his body that was given for us. We're remembering that he was the truth who, 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 who shed his blood for us as a as his sacrifice was given for us as the penalty for our sin. Jesus says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so when we take communion, we're acknowledging that Jesus, you are Lord over my life, that, that, that you are the only way 
that I'm putting my trust in you. And when we take communion, it unifies the body of Christ under the headship of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and, and, and you say, Pastor, I'm just struggling with things in my life and, and maybe there's some sin that has just gripped its hands around your heart, the wonderful news today is that Jesus can heal and forgive. And it's through his wonderful sacrifice that he brings spiritual healing to our lives. And you can come before him and say, God, I just ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I turn to God because he is glorious. I turn to God because he is the creator. I I turn to Christ because I know he's the only one that can forgive me of my sins. And so as we do that today, recognize Christ in your life. Celebrate the fact of what he's done for you. And Christ is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. So let's pray. Lord, as we just prepare our hearts to come before you this morning, we pray that, God, you would just cleanse us and forgive us of our sins. Jesus, when he was at that last meal, that Passover meal, he told his disciples that this would be the new covenant in his blood that would unify us with God, that it was only through Christ that we could be made right to a holy God whose judgment is upon our sins and who will judge us because of our sin. But because of Christ Jesus being God, he would take the wrath of God upon himself that should have been placed on us, he would take it upon his perfect life and become our sacrifice. So thank you, Jesus, for being our substitute. Thank you for taking the sin on your life, that for all those who accept God's grace and put their faith in Christ, they can now be called children of God, not children of wrath, not enemies of God, but now they are children of God. And so for all those who prayed that this morning, for all those who believe that today, we celebrate who you are, God. And thank you for your forgiveness in our lives today. So as we take communion today, we remember what you've done for us, dear Jesus. And we celebrate that today. So we thank you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time. And uh, I want you guys to look up at the screen. We're going to show you just a quick video. Look at the scriptures and just begin to prepare your hearts for communion. And then we'll worship together. Amen.
before you this morning. Lord, we understand that the battle that we're in today is really the battle of our mind. It's a battle of thinking. It's a battle of man's philosophy uh, where, where we see that we turn to ourselves to look for the answers. And God, you love this world so much. And Lord, you see the mistakes that man has made when they've trusted themselves. And I thank you that you did not spare your very own son 
who was perfect in every way, who was God, to come and to redeem mankind back into a right relationship and restore that right relationship with you. And as we hold these elements in our hands this morning, we recognize the only way to be restored back to our Creator is to come through Christ. Because Christ is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the only way. And with all these different voices and philosophies that shout at our world today, we see one who rises to the top. We see the only one who actually died for mankind. And we see that in the one and only Son, Jesus Christ where we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Lord, as we walk in this world, I pray that you would guard our hearts, that we would have discerning spirits, that we wouldn't turn to ourselves and lift up ourselves, but we would bow to our Creator, that we would bow to Christ and recognize that He is perfect. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for reaching out to us, Lord. And we're not here to condemn the world. Jesus, you came to save the world. And so, Lord, as we deal with these philosophies in this world and the deceit of this world, God, I pray that it would cause us to turn even closer to Christ and to have a knowledge within our hearts and minds to help others to see the truth. And we know, Lord, that it's the truth that sets people free. And so, Lord, we want people to be set free to know Christ and to know him as Lord and to receive eternal life. And so we thank you for what Christ has done. So in these elements, we recognize that everything comes through Christ. He is the Logos. He is the Word. The universe revolves around him and him alone. And so, Lord, we express our faith to you this morning. And as we partake in communion this morning, we recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we thank you for who he is and how he still redeems and saves lives today. So we thank you. And so, Lord, for this bread, we recognize that it's Symbolic of the body of Christ who was crushed, who was beaten for us willingly so that we could find forgiveness for our sins. So we thank you for this bread. And as we take it as the body of Christ, I pray that you would unify us as your body, that you would bless your people, and that we would hunger and thirst for you, the bread of life. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the bread together. God bless you. And Lord, we thank you for this cup that symbolizes your blood. We know that the word of God says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. There had to be a penalty paid. And Jesus, you paid that penalty for us through your sinless, perfect life. And for that, we're grateful. So as we take this cup, we're recognizing that it's only through your blood that we can find forgiveness and be cleansed from our sins. So cleanse us anew and afresh today and allow us to know that only through Christ and through his sacrifice can we find forgiveness of sin. 
Let us proclaim that in our lives each and every day as we partake of your cup in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the cup. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Praise God. Let's, let's, uh, let's stand today as I uh, just let you go in God's grace. Amen. You know, anytime we take communion, I'm just reminded of the family of God that, that Jesus died for us and that we would be united as a family. And so my prayer for you is that as you go out that you don't feel like you're an individual or that you feel like you're alone, but you're part of a, a bigger family. And I, I just love the, the, the local church. I'll be honest with you, I like coming to church. Amen. I, I like coming to church. And I like being part of the family of God. Amen. We're family. I like to know that you're praying for me and all the times I mess up, you correct me. I appreciate that. You guys are so good to me. Amen. Just, just uh, grab the hand of the person next to you. Let's just, let's just pray as we go and just pray God's protection over us. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, we, we know that the enemy's out there. We know that he's a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And Lord, the only way he can devour us is what we see if, if one gets away from the pack, if, if one is left exposed or vulnerable. And I just pray for anyone here today that just feels alone, that just feels like, like uh, they're not part of your family, Lord, I pray that they would come into the fold, that they would find protection and covering through the family of God. This is just a, a local church of a much bigger one. There are churches that are meeting in China today. There are bodies of local believers that are meeting in Guatemala today. There are a body of believers that are meeting in Iraq today and we pray for them because we're part of that family. And I pray for this local family at Living Word that you would protect us, that you would bless every individual here, God, that they would realize, Lord, that, that they are not alone, that they are under your covering when we come under your authority. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us, use the gifts that you've given us to glorify you. So, Lord, we pray for that person on the right and on the left of us, Lord, that whatever they're struggling with today, they would not feel that they're alone. That, that Lord, we can learn all this knowledge about the philosophies of the world, but the bottom line is Jesus is alive and he hears us and he cares for us. And he sits at the right hand of the Father forever praying and interceding for us that we can cast our cares at his feet because he cares for us today. So Lord, may there not be one person that walks out of this room that does not know that Jesus loves them, that he gave his life for them. So Lord, protect this family. Guide us and lead us in this new year, God. And let us just cling to your grace each and every day. And I thank you, Lord. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' name alone. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you guys, amen. Have a great day. God bless you.
Jane.